This episode is brought to you in partnership with Wacom. Across the globe, learning is still handwriting-centric, especially in mathematics and science. This can make the shift to digital tasks challenging. Many schools are seeking effective apps and hardware to ensure a smoother transition for digital learning, especially for STEM lessons. Expanding digital pen and ink technology from teachers to students opens up new possibilities for communication and collaboration in and out of the classroom. Using pen-enabled devices, teachers and students can explain complex concepts, take notes, provide feedback, and show their work quickly and easily. Wacom pen displays and tablets easily plug in to the existing IT equipment in the classroom, enabling members of the class to interact with the digital content being shared. The teacher never even needs to turn their back on the class. Collaboration is simple when working on shared documents and apps with the digital pen. There's no new software to learn. You just work with the pen on the screen or tablet instead of the mouse and keyboard on your computer. As educators, myself, Steve and Ben have all integrated the use of Wacom technology into where we've worked in education, into colleges and schools, and we have seen the benefits for ourselves. So go check it out for yourself. Uh, The link is in the show notes for this episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Edgy Futures podcast. It's uh, it's good to be here. Um, there's only two of us today. Uh, Dan is having to do a, a late night party. I want to say a party, but he's probably got a radio next to his ear in college, checking out people who've got first aid problems and, and all the stuff that goes with it. But Dan, we miss you. We wish you were here, but it's all right. Steve, good to see you, mate. Uh, yeah, thanks, uh... Uh, yeah, it's good to see myself on the screen, actually. I was going to say it's good to see you, but it's good to see myself on the screen. Um, I was just looking at myself. Uh, that sounds really vain. It isn't. I'm just trying to adapt to my new glasses. Um, but, yeah, it's been good this this nice week. Glasses, Steve. Uh, for everybody that's been watching for quite a few years, you'll realise apparently I look like, no longer look like Harry Potter's dad because my circular, circular glasses have gone. But um, don't you just love your neighbours? Little story. Um, my neighbour said to me, oh, you've got new glasses, Steve. I was like, yeah, it took me ages to, to, to choose them. And he went, yeah, I prefer your old ones. I was like, absolutely <laughs> wonderful. That, thanks it. for that. Uh, well, so that's been a bit of a story that happened. But, yeah, it's been a good but busy week. Can I just, on the glasses story, obviously I've got a new 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 pair that we've you might have seen before, a few people might have seen before if you're watching. If you're not watching this, why not think about subscribing on YouTube? If you're only listening to this on a podcast, why not come and subscribe on YouTube? See how bad our glasses are. Uh, I think your I think your Manchester. I think yours are more Deirdre Rashid, and mine are more a little no. bit slightly different. But yeah, mate, do you know what somebody said to me? My my kids, they've not seen the program, but my twelve year old daughter said to me, "Dad, you look like Jeffrey Dahmer." I was like, "Whoa!" I think they need to go. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think I'd rather uh, Harry Potter's dad than Jeffrey Dahmer. But uh, yeah, here we go. So yeah, it's, it's it's been an interesting week. I know that we've got lots and lots of exciting. Uh, news coming out this week or whenever this when it comes out whenever whenever you listen to it there will be some news if you're listening go to the link book on to the edge of futurist uh, uprising event and uh uh, yeah the we can say the nominations are about to open or have opened depending so the nominations for for the edge of futurist awards we've got some slightly tweaked and slightly new categories yeah uh, but it's about celebrating um the wonderful stuff that's happening in education from well-being from uh, whole organisations in, in each sector. And we've got a new trust 
um, award. That is one of the new ones yeah. uh, rather than just individual schools. But it's exciting. We had some wonderful conversations off the back of our Futures Awards and event last year. But like anything, we never do anything normal. Um, <laughs> just look at our glasses. Um, we never do anything normal. We always try to do something different. And our events will be an award ceremony celebrating those educators when, it, when we come face-to-face on the 4th of May. But we'll also have a twist. We'll have talks. It is called The Uprising for a Reason. We'll be having talk about AI and chat. GTP and the future GTP, of tech. Steve, how many times? I don't. I, 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 you're the one who writes about it. I'm the one who just makes gets it wrong every time I say it. But um, but yes, yeah, I think it's really exciting. So go and book it, have a look, and uh, and hopefully we'll look forward to seeing it. But um, but yeah, how how was a uh, how's the week been, Ben? How's apart from the new glasses? <laughs> yeah, going? it's been it's been great fun. Um, what particular highlight this week is um, I love talking about um, mental health. Uh, it's been a massive passion of mine um, since my own challenges with, with mental illness and mental health. Uh, so I'm, I got a real chance to, a really amazing chance to work, go in a college earlier this week and to talk to some of the young people about the challenges um, and how, how I've overcome them personally and then, and, and what that looks like. And um, I use that, that, it's slightly cheesy, but I love it. That idea, that quote that says, you're never born to fit in, you were made to stand out. So we had that conversation um, and it was fantastic. So that's a massive, massive highlight for me this week, being able to share my story and hopefully help some people. In fact, I, I, I already know I've had some emails back from some of the staff there that said it's already had a, a bit of an impact. So that, suit, that, that, that kind of stuff floats my boat and being able to do that kind of stuff. So, yeah, what about you, bud? Any, any highlights, anything exciting? Yeah, Matt. My little boy was one on Monday. How did that? How did wow. that go so quickly? Wow. That's probably the biggest. Wow. I have I've had loads of positive and happy times this week. I've done loads of good stuff that's happened. I think, and some that I won't share. But my little boy turning one um, was was a real highlight. I think this week, and yeah, it was wonderful. He's such a. It did come with the fact that he's got a chest infection, so he's not as happy as he always is and laughing. But uh, no, it was good. Loved it, and and managed to spend the time as much as possible. I always have breakfast and dinner with my children, apart from when I'm away, uh, working away. Uh, but yeah, I've managed to have every meal and so much more walks and everything else with the children this week. So, so yeah. Love it. Love it. And and that, and that's, I, lo- I love them highlights that some are about work and some are about life. And that's, that's what we get to do. We, we have uh, busy lives, busy families, busy workplaces, and, and it's, uh, it's good to be able to celebrate what we do. And actually that ties in really nicely with our episode uh, this evening, we've got some guests waiting very, very patiently in the background. Um, we've just gassed on for a little bit, so uh, hopefully they they, w- they won't be up too upset with us. But um, we're really, really pleased to be joined by Andy Corp and Will Hussey. So we'll bring them in, and they're going to. I'll let them tell tell us about themselves and uh, who, what what they do, and so we can uh, get a conversation today about how what they do and the and their particular passion um, will have a, an impact and can have an impact on an education in its future okay Real so you, mate. I'll, well I'll jump in I'll keep this brief uh, I guess it's about 30 years ago now and actually Steve you've been making me feel old talking about uh, the first birthday you've just my daughter's about to have her 21st birthday and she's now delivering babies so that makes me feel really 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 just, old. just to jump in 
uh, you might feel old. You look miles better than me. You've had an easier paper round than I have. I look horrific. Mine must have been uphill. You must have had the real. You must have had like the Yorkshire Post. I must have had broadsheets. I look horrific. If you've got a twenty-five-year-old daughter, wow, well done, Will. Good work, Steve. Right on cue. I'll pay you later. Thank you. But essentially, to cut a long story short, about thirty years ago, I did a, a degree that was called physical and adventure education. And to be honest, that's pretty much how I think all education should be. I think sedentary, unadventurous education is not much use and probably more importantly, not much fun for anybody at all. So that's kind of where I started. Uh, various reasons when my own kids were kind of your age, Steve, I kind of decided I was spending a lot of time with other people's kids rather than my own. So my wife's also a teacher. So we did a little bit of a job share thing. When the kids were old enough to go back to school, I decided I couldn't really hack a full-time teaching job, to be honest with you. So I needed to do something else with my time, which was, so essentially I started writing. I started writing books on creative thinking, uh, started writing about growth mindsets before I actually was really aware of the term growth mindsets and thinking differently. And that's what kind of led me to this kind of whole world of well-being. And I guess the I guess you could call the the um, the positive psychology kind of world, which was, I guess, when I was fortunate enough to meet Andy. Lovely segue. Lovely segue. Isn't he good? Isn't he good? Yeah. Fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm Andy, uh, Dr. Andy Cope. Uh, a bit weird. I'm the UK's first ever Doctor of Happiness. So I was thinking, uh, if you if you think of all the other doctors you've ever met, I'm exactly not that. So I don't know anything. I can't whip your appendix out, and I'm not bothered about your rash. I don't know anything to do. I don't know how to do that. But what I did at Loughborough Uni was for 12 years, the longest PhD in history, was um, research positive psychology. So my job at Loughborough as essentially was to seek out happy people and follow them around and work out why they're so happy. And I kind of turned that into a job, really. So that ends up as a 130,000 academic thesis, academic word thesis, which is awful. But if you lose all the big words and all the bull and all the psychobabble and all the clever stuff, you boil it down to the really clever stuff, which is simple, doable, um, and the most needed thing in the classroom, because essentially it's human flourishing. So uh, life, you won't have escaped anybody's notice that life has become especially brutal. It's always been a contact sport, but it's like really beating people up right now trying to keep this clean um and if you think about the um so instead if you think about positive psychology I one more minute and then i'll pass back to will or, or take a question but essentially i studied psychology at uni really interesting and it was all about illness so for 150 years traditional psychology phobias disorders anxiety depression paranoia schizophrenia so ben you alluded to your mental health issues in the past so typically Let's wait for you to really struggle and then let's try and fix you. Here's some therapy. Here's some counselling. That doesn't work. Here's some meds. Right. So we wait for people to be screaming in, in pain and then we jump in and help them. Now, I get that. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But what I realised is over the 150 years of trying to fix that is that mental ill health has been getting worse, not better. So actually, we're missing like something is missing. We're missing a trick. It's not working. Otherwise, people would be well. And, we're you know, there are 85 million prescriptions written last year for antidepressants just in England right so it's a massive issue so what I realized was that pretty much for 150 years of traditional psychology is that we've never ever psychologists have literally never ever studied people who are already happy on the grounds of them not being ill if you think about it everybody everybody listening to this podcast 
you can all think of maybe a handful of people, a single handful actually, of people in your life who've got something extra, whether it's an extra smile on their face, an extra spring in the step, an extra positivity, an extra, like in the staff room, these are the work colleagues who go the extra mile. You don't have to ask them 10 times. They create strong relationships. Kids have fallen to the ends of the earth. They bring the subject to life. They seem to be hardly ever off. They seem to cope with life kind of almost with ease. It isn't with ease, but it, it apparently is. So who the heck are they? Right? We, we, we've not studied them on the grounds of them not being ill. So while the rest of psychology continues to look at illness, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, I decided to look at wellness. My starting point, my PhD starting question is, who are the ones who aren't ill? Because that's a bit counterintuitive, but it's a really interesting question. Who are the ones who are already thriving? Not only who are they, but what, what the hell are they doing that allows them to feel so amazing? And thirdly, most importantly, that Will and I kind of deliver in schools and business in whoever will uh, listen to us is like, what might we learn from them that we might apply to us, so we might also have that buzz and that and that uh, ready break glow on the outside. So that so that's it. Bit bit yeah. of a long winded way around to say, and it flips psychology on its head. Instead of looking at illness, we look at wellness. I love that. Um, I, I literally before we've come on the podcast tonight, I've just been with an ex colleague who I used to work with in the last school that I worked in, and before I went into colleges, and um, he is that person. He is that person who's been at the same school for twenty years. Um, he's had knocks and up that but he's he still keeps in contact with or we still keep in contact and I stopped I left there in 2017 he still um has gangs and gangs of young people that are like oh cranny cranny this cranny that wonderful wonderful man english teacher and he, and and actually he, he just he, he i said to him and this is the i always laugh um cuz he i should have had a bingo card with the words that i knew he was going to say so i said to him i, I was how's was, uh, things going at, at school and he went regulation which is what he usually says just regulation <laughs> and things things are just as they are but he says that's not that's not the sum of who i am that's not all i do i work really hard but like so i love that and i love that idea of like the, the idea of positive psychology that what can we learn from those people who are well and those people who are happy and those people who are, who, who are being successful so i wonder if it's if we can go there like first like what 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 yeah. what did we find what 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 well, are well that you just you just nailed it beautifully in terms of you telling that story about that mate of yours you spoke to today or yesterday. The reason that you know I call we call Will and I call them two percenters. Basically, what I did was surveyed lots of people, gave out lots of diaries to working age people that to record how they feel during the working week, and I was able to plot people onto a graph of well-being. And so we've always looked at people who've fallen below the graph who, who are in need of clinical assistance, right? Which is fair, fine. But the top the top two percenters, as, as we nickname them, on the grounds of there not been very many of them, when you plot them on the graph of well-being, they're much closer to the top, statistically significantly happier, bags more energy, right? So when you're in two percent mode, like operating as your best self, essentially, you've got about 40% more energy as well. And the reason you think of your mate in that 2% is essentially this, is when they're around, you feel great as well. So it's actually what I call it flourishing. Flourishing is when your happiness and well-being is bigger than you. So actually, of course, it's good for you being your best self is good for you. Having a smile on your face is good for you. But it also kind of leaks out of you and creates these upward spirals of emotion in the people around you. So it's almost your gift to the world, you operating in best self mode. So obviously we deliver loads of this kind of in schools and we deliver it for kids as well, by the way. And um, before we tell you kind of maybe some of the some of the how to's, I think if you think, let's just think about the school system. I love, mate, that we talk about the uprising and you talk about disruption. 
right? Will and I are talking about revolution here. Like, I'm, we're deadly serious about doing things differently. And there are some, like, if you think about it, both of you are dads, right? And we'll, well, we're all of, all four of us, right? We've all got kids. There's one thing, every parent listening to this, there's one thing that you want for your own children. If there was just the one thing, I guarantee that it would be you want them to be happy. All right, absolutely. The one thing across every parent on, it's what I looked at in my research is every country, every parent, they want their kids to be happy. Then we put them through a, a, an education system, right? If you judge, what does the education system give them? Well, it might give them some good grades. It might teach them some discipline and to arrive on time. But it doesn't teach them how to be happy. It doesn't, it doesn't, it, in fact, it knocks the happiness out of them. And quite often, you know, kids end up broken by the system. So, there's a mismatch between what parents want for their kids and want, just want them to be happy and what schools are actually delivering. I'm not having a go at schools, by the way. I'm obviously a qualified teacher and I love schools, but I just think the pressures are so immense at the moment that get yeah. passed down um, all the way down to the kids and the kids are on meds as well. Will, what you got? So I would describe it. I think education is reaching what I call terminal velocity. And I'm, I mean this from a place of love and respect because teachers do... A genuinely amazing job. I put them up there with nurses, NHS, right? An absolutely amazing job. But sometimes I think that's despite the system. And I'm not going to get political, right? Not because of it, right? They go above and beyond. But essentially, they're doing more and more and more and more and more. Whenever something is not quite right in the world, let's fix it in a school. And this equates to adding layer upon layer upon layer of things that children have to get better at, which translates to what actually teachers need to do. And the truth is, right, where I come from is that we can all learn to be better if we get better at learning. That's the truth of the matter. But when it comes to education, we, you know, all sorts of amazing things are studied at school, English, math, science, PE, science, you know, all sorts of subjects, right? Curricula and extracurricular. But what we don't do is learn how to learn. And actually, if you're not empowering young people to reach their potential, then actually they're never, they're never going to reach it. We're focusing on what, what we think our young people need to do when I think what Andy's talking about and where we kind of meet is what we need to be equipping them is how to be and how to be the best that they can be, right? And, and the reason why I'm, I heard you talk about, I can never get this right myself, but chat GPT earlier on. And you'll know a lot more about this than me, right? But I'm going to just, I'm going to take a step back, if you don't mind indulging me, back to the 1960s, because the, the warning signs were there. There's a chap called Gordon Moore. I don't know if you've ever heard of Gordon Moore, but he was the co-founder of a computer company we know as Intel. And back then, our Gordon was into chips. I'm not talking fish and chips. I'm talking microchips, right? And he made an observation back in the 60s that roughly every two years, right, the number of transistors you could fit on the head of a microchip were roughly doubling, okay? And this sort of exponential growth, we all know what exponential growth is now since COVID, right? It's, it's kind of continued since the 60s. And it's become known, this, this technological growth, this pace of change, whatever you want to call it, it's become known as, as Moore's Law. And judging by Moore's Law, what this suggests, right, is that your children, particularly yours, Steve, right, judging by today's current rate of progress, it's anticipated that they will live through 200 lifetimes worth of progress, right, in their, in their lifetime. 
Now, that's a bit scary. That scares me a little. It's a little bit exciting, but it's a little bit scary as well. And what that says to me, and I think this is where the uprising might come in and the revolution, that if we keep badgering on and harping on and having a curriculum, which is all about they've got to do more and more and more, there is no way that the content of a curriculum can keep up with this pace of change. And what we've got to do is prepare our prepare our young people and prepare our teachers for this brave new world, this brave new future, which, dare I say, with a nod to chat GPT, is actually here now. And, and that's what we're in the business of, right? The science of flourishing, I think, is about helping young people take responsibility and actually move from kind of just surviving, getting through the day. How's it been? Fine to move from surviving to thriving because that's what we need it's what our kids need it's actually what the world needs as well i i agree we had um our last event and we've had conversations with uh Sagata mitra um in regards to um we have a education was built and everybody says education as a system is failing it isn't it, it was it was built exactly to do exactly what it is doing now. That is the worry that it was built to do what it is doing, but that's so outdated because we're trying. The education system was created for a very different era, a very different, and we are in in education and many sectors, uh, um, not just in the UK but globally. And a big thing that we are trying to solve the problems in the same way, but the problems aren't the same. We're trying to fix things, but actually the world is a very different era. Uh, my 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 little girl is going into uh, a nursery. She obviously she goes into day nursery and everything else, but she's going into nursery. And uh, the local school I've been round and I've been, as I do, I'm a bit of a nightmare and ask questions. And you know, probably the biggest fear is somebody who's been a chair of governors asking all these questions about. Um, what's your early years provision and everything else? And I said, oh, we're officer outstanding. And I just said, I, I, I'm not really interested in that. Can you just walk me through what it looks like? Can I spend some time with some children? Can I not and, and look at what, what what how would you get them playing and everything else? And the, and and one of them I just said, it's not for me. And they were like, but we're outstanding. I was like, absolutely wonderful that you've got a badge that says outstanding. But for me, outstanding is very very different to what you're explaining to me. I mean, no disrespect to that, but actually, um, we have chosen and we had somebody on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, um, on Montessori, um, around the, the the art of play and and, and independence and everything else, uh, just to add, cr- um, developing a child that is independent is uh, is not is lots of fun but also challenging. But that's what I wanted to do. We want to do all of those different things. And I think just to add, you are correct. The education education system in our eyes in the Futurist is failing, but actually it was designed to do something different. But it is failing the children of, of today and tomorrow, I, definitely. I, I agree. And I think you, you mentioned as well, Will, this idea around um, we teach all this brilliant curriculum, but then the we don't teach children how to learn. Uh, and we've had m- multiple times we've had conversations with the team up at XP schools and um, and some of that work around how they how they work on that that metacognition and that learning how to learn. And you used a couple of phrases there about the science of flourishing. And I know that your organization is called the art of brilliance. And I love the fact that you've talked about two things there. You're talking about the science, but you're actually talking about an art perspective as well. And, and I love, I love the idea that education 
Um, it does need a revolution. There is no doubt about it. In fact, Steve will remember a few years ago at our first to face, last one of our last first to face events. It might have even been our last first to face event. Um, I stood on a stage with uh, having had a couple of cans of Red Bull, which was probably not a great thing to do with, with saying Viva la Revolution. And and and, and ultimately, like we, we, we have to do something different because our young people are in a position where the, we're trying to cram information into them. And the reality is, like you said, 200 ti- lifetimes in one lifetime. Like it's th- there is absolutely no need to ram them full of information. They're going to get the information. The information is there available to them. They can they can talk to a chatbot that tells them the information. Let's help them be happy. Let's help them thrive. Uh, Valerie Hannon came on the podcast and she talked about thriving. How important it is to find young people and to and to dive in with young people to get down whilst they are still young and before they've had all the angst of uh, mental ill health and all the angst of cost of living crisis and all the angst of what that links with and let's let's help them be happy and help them learn how to learn and how to continue to be happy so yeah i'll, I'll get off my soapbox and let you speak <laughs> you know and then we'll, we definitely want to hear more from you than, than us but i just want to add in there that in the digital age and some of the negative connotations of social media and technology, they do add some complexities to, to our children and how they are, they are raised compared to previous years. And that happiness and the, the stuff that you're talking about, thriving and everything else, is also around understanding that we do not teach in schools of how to self-regulate and how to understand that actually what is critical thinking and how to analyse the fact that that's not real um, often and, and, and everything else and, and how to go through those process of what ha- happiness actually is and the brilliance of it that it's not every – we've talked about people that are generally happy every day, but most people are very, very happy people, but they might just have a bad day and that's fine. You might just you might just be stressed about your exams, but that's okay, but we just don't do enough to do that. And over to you, Andy and Willie, whoever wants to come in because I've talked enough, but I think this is – I'm loving it because this is so important, really important. Can I I'll pick up on the um, on the way classrooms have changed and and uh, like really rapidly and, and mobile phone addiction and stuff like that and social media and how anxiety is on the rise. I mean, it's really difficult for teachers to teach a class when a third of the kids have got anxiety or they've got ADHD or they're you know and and maybe the teachers suffering as well. I've got I got some uh, numbers. I know Will knows these numbers, so I read them out at a team meeting the other week. Um, so from the Economist, which is a really fairly believable. Uh, uh, weekly mag um the average phone user now uses looks at their phone 150 times a day and we, th- we think oh that's not us but well it is we just don't know we're doing it but super users which are mostly under 14 they're using their phone they're looking at their phone 358 times a day um 74 of people feel uneasy about leaving their phone at home 71 percent of people check their phone first thing um 64 of people use their phone on the toilet and a third of them have dropped their phone down the toilet 61 percent of people have texted somebody in the same room as them um 36 of people would rather give up their pet than their phone i'm not sure about that one the average phone use two hours and 54 minutes per day which equates to 44 days a year um and i i've got a friend of mine and they've they're one year old she's got the first word her first word was alexa i'm like what the actual <clears throat> Uh, world is, 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 is what's happening now so there's a how I, I right i'm not how you can teach when kids are so distracted and so all over the place no wonder everybody's got adhd right? if you're looking at your phone 358 times a day you're going to be way distracted right so i think it's about um 
I mean, if you go in schools and tell kids to get off the phones, obviously they're going to think you're old and they're not going to do that. But there are certain ways of sort in, um, of, of introducing the science of well-being, which naturally includes a whole raft of uh, subjects, but around self-care. And if you're looking at your phone 358 times a day, I would say that is actually a form of self-harm. Yeah, I, I think I think I think you've you've stunned us all into like that. It blows my mind. I've been looking at my screen time uh, recently. I'm not going to be that person that thinks he's got to. Uh, I've I've got to post about my screen time every. I'm reducing it. I'm I'm going to be less than that. I get all that conversation. I think my I was looking at how many times I pick it up and and it's 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 not healthy. And I also think about the idea of how that creates. The, the level of procrastination and the the level of uh dis, like you said distraction interestingly that whole that whole idea about and, and i'm trying myself to do that uh the pomodoro technique about like just setting myself some time and and turn things off uh i'll listen to joe rogan's podcast and he talks about when he writes his pieces when he writes his scripts he writes it on a dummy laptop that has no access to the internet and all it is is a word processor and he he goes into a room he often writes late at night where he's not going to be distracted so that because the distract the element of distraction is um is very real and 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 ultimately if you're being as entertained as we are on tiktok or entertained as young people are on um netflix that run a show that runs one into another into another like schools can't compete with that so actually in terms of entertainment and in terms of distractibility so we've got to we've got to think differently about the place of the, the role of the teacher and the role of a school haven't we then if you think about it, if you just think about it, right, is all the social media, whether it's TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you're on, Twitter, is um, who are the customers on that? So the service is free. So the customers are the advertisers, right? So basically, they're, they're your attention. That's what they're trying to snap, snaffle your attention. Yeah, 100%. So you're not the customer. The, the, the customers are the ones who pay the bills, which is the advertisers. Your attention, your 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 clicks are what they're after. And once you realize that and you, you get, look, we know it's happening, but we can keep getting lulled into it. I think if you're spending 44 days a year on looking at your mobile phone, if you think about it, if you just cut that down by 50%, you've got 22 days extra a year to actually achieve something really meaningful in your life. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. And it, it links back to um, a podcast, which was very early do- doors from when I joined around the Agora school. And I don't know if you, Will and Andy, you've, you've heard of the Agora School in, in the Netherlands. It's a wonderful school um, that is around creativity and project-based learning and lots of different things. They have a normal pathway, but they have lots of different things. And and um, I remember Rob, and have, he came on the podcast and then he gave a presentation at one of our events. And he talked about what they try and achieve. And yes, they use technology, but also it's around trying to develop skills, curiosity, and something I um, was heavily involved in when in my years in education around the skill development. I, I hate this word soft skills because it isn't. And I think curiosity is another one that actually I never really included as I see, but it should be communication, critical thinking, all of those different things. But Rob talked about how he as a school um, tried to manage and how to try and influence self-discipline in children positively um, because many schools uh, and particularly under this, this government in, in England is just ban the phones. I 100% get that mentality because it's such a distraction in classrooms. But at the same point, how does that teach our young people when they leave education, when they're outside of 
uh, school on an evening, when they're out on a weekend, and as they develop as, as young people into our adults, that addiction will come because they haven't learned, as Rob said, that there are no lockers in life. How can we try and provide support where possible that, yes, it is a distraction, but techniques and support around technology and anything that comes with it? And, um, yeah, I don't know so, how we get around it, but it, it is an interesting one. So it's interesting you to hear you talk about um, regulation. And I think that's what Andy and I are really interested in. You go into school and typically you see so often uh, – a kind of model where it's a very polarized model and, and pupils and sometimes teachers see learning in very black and white terms. Like you can do it or you can't do it. It's easy or it's hard. Okay. And, and the gulf between the two can see massive, right? So what happens is the teacher thinks, well, do you know what? I'm accountable. I'm accountable for this child getting here so they'll do everything they can to get a child from a to b so they can actually record annotate evaluate some sort of degree of success but actually that's actually to the detriment of the whole kind of learning journey and what we've got to do is empower our children to know that actually learning is not black and white it's not all or nothing they're actually different, distinct stages of learning. Once you know what they look like, once you know how they feel, once you can identify with them, there's five of these stages, then suddenly they, it becomes a little bit more manageable. It's not quite such a chasm, right? It's not quite such a chasm, but you've actually identified tangible stepping stones, which you can take responsibility for moving from where you are to where you want to be. So that's the first thing I think we need to be doing to help empower our, our teachers and our learners. The second thing is each of these stepping stones have a behavior that's attached. And this is focusing on equipping children with the skills, the input. If they get the input right, the results going to look after themselves. And I would describe the input as, well, I call it resilience, but I spell it differently. I spell it R-A-I. Resilience is about up in yours essentially right this is the bit that that moves you pushes you from just kind of surviving getting through another day to thriving and getting somewhere between your potential and these are the five key behaviors that i believe really really make a difference number one we want pupils to be up for it right we want people to come into the classroom to be ready to be excited to be passionate number two we want them to be brave we want them to take risks how much risk-taking, the right sort of risk-taking is going on in the classroom? Number three, they need to retain this sort of stuff. They've got to have stickability, right? Whoever said, try, try, try again, was wrong. <laughs> if it was that easy, we'd all be geniuses at everything. Number four, you've got to be what I call a refiner, which is at some point you've got to have the courage and conviction to accept that you are unique, you are individual, you are not everybody else, which means at some point you've got to go it alone. And what works for YouTube, whoever they are, what work, whatever's written down in a book might not work for you. And ultimately, you've got to be prepared to redefine your place in the world. Get those five R's right work out how to navigate those behaviors, the results are going to look after themselves, but we've got to empower and equip our children to be able to do that. Yeah. I think 
I like those as the measure of how we how we support young people because there was nothing in there about can um, can expand the brackets and can use bid mass successfully. There was nothing in there that said can can list the features of a V-shaped valley, um, and there's nothing can you place which ones are the alkaline metals in the periodic table. Like them things are absolutely um, none of those things are irrelevant. Although I do make jokes about a V-shaped valley quite a lot, um, all of them things are key like information. But actually, how much of that stuff is really helping us to live and and not just to live survive live but thrive and i think I, I, it ties very much into that that ability to be able to i like that idea of being able to refine who you are and refine what you need to know and refine who your relationships are and refine the things that you do need to keep hold of and the things that you don't need to and then that helps you then that redefinition in terms of who we are as as people and and i think that's a cycle as well isn't it it's like I look. I look now. I was a teacher. I had every intention to become a, to be a teacher for the rest of my life. In fact, I see ex students now regularly because uh, I, I live and work in, in 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 or lived live and worked in the same town as I, I and I see these people all the time. And when I tell them I'm not a teacher anymore, they go, "What? Like you you are the epitome of what teach you love teaching. Teaching was you." But then actually, when I was at school, and I remember I, I told this story this last week, when I became, when I decided I was going to go and train to be a teacher, um, I, I'd done a couple of years out, and I went back to my head of sixth form. I said, oh, I'm thinking about going, becoming a teacher and an RE teacher at that. And uh, the, the head of sixth form went, what? You? There's no way. You're, like, you're the worst. You're, you're a nightmare in school. How can you go and be a teacher? So it's interesting how I had to redefine uh, who I was and refine who I was and, and re redefine who I was. And then actually I've had to do it again as I've come out of education. Or, well, I'm working on education rather than in education. It's interesting, isn't it, that as a, as, a, as, a, as a concept? It sounds to me, Ben, that you actually nailed and discovered the bonus three R's to me, which are essentially relationships, relationships, relationships. And Andy always used to say to me, he said, the, the same rule of parenting applies to teaching and vice versa. And that actually children don't do what you say, they do what you do. And this is why I think the dynamic in the classroom needs to shift a little bit, because for so long, teachers have had to be this kind of oracle, this font of wisdom, this kind of omnipotent, all seeing, all knowing. And you've heard of a waggle, haven't you? What a good one looks like. It's not about a waggle. It's about a wagoddle. It's about what a good one doesn't look like, right? And how you navigate your way through the ups and the downs, the roller coaster, and how you make the most of that kind of learning journey, which should be an adventure if you do it right. That's what it's about. We can't have all the answers as educators. All we can do is encourage our pupils, our kids, our school communities to be asking the right questions and to get excited about asking them and get excited about seeking the answers. Yeah, I think, and, and, and this is kind of, this, this is seminal. It's like fundamental. Um, we've had multiple different people on the podcast over the, over the years who are saying we are a, a focus really, really heavy on what, the students need to learn and don't do enough. And you've said this once already, Andy, about who these young people are, who they are and who they're becoming. And it's that, that idea of um, focusing more on the, on the output 
than the than than the inside, the external and the internal. And I think what I'm what I'm picking up, and I'm and obviously the work that we've uh, that that, you, that we see that you you guys are doing, and and with the research we've done ready for the podcast, and obviously talking to some some of the guys that know you well, there's a there's a there's a massive focus in it. What you do comes out of who you are, but actually, if you focus just on the what you do. It's it's impermanent. We need to get into that that state of being and that wellness and that brilliance within. So yeah, I, I, I wonder if you could you could kind of talk talk to that, Andy. Uh, can I riff on that just for a minute, Ben? If you think about because I, I again I'm not knocking school. I went through school and I was pretty average, but I did learn some stuff that was useful. But most of it wasn't. So for example, I, I we read Romeo and Juliet in English, which was a lovely love story, but we never learned how to love or what love really is or what happens when you fall out of love or when when somebody dumps you i never learned any of that and in biology we i remember dissecting a rat fantastic look at his little ratty guts never was taught what's inside of me i don't mean my guts i mean my inner drives and my and my values and all that kind of stuff in in, in french we learned a foreign language but i never learned to grapple with the voice in my own head that's, that's beating me up all the time and and in history, we learned about what happened back in the day, but not my own backstory and how that relates to how I am. In PE, my, my, my rugby teacher was shouting about, you need a fire in your belly, but he never taught me like what happens. Well, what, where does that come from? And what happens if it goes out? So all the time we're learning all this curriculum stuff, but actually who we are at our best is pretty much of a lottery. In fact, can I, let me just go back. Let me go back. Because I've got this thing I've been doing on inset days. I don't know if it lands or not, but for me, it makes perfect sense. And I'm coming at it from... Um, it's, a, it's called the Jonah Complex. I absolutely love it. I don't know if I can explain it very well. But if you take Steve, Steve's got a one-year-old, right? So if you, if you all think when your kids are born or whenever any, any, a new person arrives on, in, in the world, but one day old, that child has got so much potential. This is like knee-shaking what that kid could achieve at one day old, right? And then we get to, what am I, 56? Then you get, you get to a certain age where sometimes you reflect and think what happened to all my potential it never quite worked out now the jonah complex jonah apparently was the guy in the bible who got swallowed by a whale which i always think is a pretty bad day but it actually and i'm not coming out i'm not a religious person i'm a scientist but the jonah complex essentially in the bible apparently jonah god asked jonah to do a big thing don't know what it was but and i wasn't there but i'm paraphrasing go and preach jonah, to the city jo- of Nineveh. go and preach to the city of Nineveh. Uh, yeah yeah there you go you go you know man you know right so you'll fill in the gaps for me so but basically jonah said no jonah didn't fancy it jonah's a timid merchant he says well that's a big thing and i'm only a timid bloke i just run a stall in the market you can't mean me boss you must mean somebody else so the jonah complex comes from the fact that jonah prepared to uh, w- was um wanted to play small he didn't want to do it and therefore this kind of Jonah complex is essentially this fear of being your best self, this kind of, it's not that we can't shine. It's not that we can't achieve massive potential. It's not, we can't actually take the world by storm. It's actually that we daren't. It's almost like your fear of your own greatness. Your fear of your own potential is what's holding you back. Cause you might say, well, yeah, but what if I, it's not as a teenager in, in secondary schools, it's not cool to be positive. It's not cool to try hard. It's not cool to hand your work in on time and get a grade A. It's kind of cool to settle the middle of the pack. It's cool to fit in. It's cool to give some back chat to the teachers because we all go through that phase. But the Jonah complex is like, well, why would you? It's easier to play small. You know what I mean? It's it's safer to play small. It's it's easier to be one of the pack. But I I always challenge kids in, in my sessions is like, why would you aim to be middle of the pack? What, you've only got four thousand weeks to make a difference in the world. Then you're going to die, right? Which isn't a massive amount of time. So why would you aim for mediocre? Why would you aim to be an average teacher? Why would you aim to be a to be an average nurse? 
why wouldn't you set your sights a whole lot higher? And 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 the Jonah complex is like because it's easier, safer to not do that. So Will and I, what we're doing is like, well, I don't know about you, but I'm going for it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to quit waiting. I'm not waiting around for somebody else to 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 have me success on a plate. I've got to go and seek it out, work out what it is. I've got to be my best self consistently, and that will get you um, the potential that, that 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 will that will maximize the potential that you've got sorry it's a bit of a bit of a long-winded thing but I, I feel very passionately that um but i think teachers uh, will just said teachers need to role model it as well if teachers are playing small if yep. teachers are like well why are we teaching this miss because it's on the exam like you've <laughs> lost me interest straight up straight away you've lost me interest <laughs> so well you're gonna uh, there is no risk there is no support of a risk there is no, uh, maybe there's no psycho psychological safety at the same point, but there's nothing in education that says, go for it, think big. It's a case of, you'll have a conversation. I'll put you in this set and I'll put you on a low paper because I think Bessie can aim for the D. I'm not being funny, but what is that? Like, because ultimately, how do we prepare in life to really say, let's go for it? Let's really go for it. I was a PE teacher and now um, I, I don't think I'm average. I think I'm, I'm doing all right. But I'm a CEO. I'd never in my aspirations as a kid that failed at school did I ever think that I would be a teacher and, and actually feel like I was a good teacher, but now feel like I'm doing a good job. And I think take risks and think big. And we just do not embed because, and it's not our teachers, it's the current system that ingrains people to just go through a process to get to a point and pass an exam and when we say pass, well, actually, you don't need a C because a pass might be just turning up and putting your name on it. What does that even mean? Uh, and maybe again, I'm just again, waffling, but I'm just... No, let me, let, me get, let, me, let me pick up on it, Mike, because I, I wrote a blog um, back end of last year called Emigrating to Heaven. So I've already alluded to the fact that the scary statistic when you're 56 is your average lifespan is 4,000 weeks. So you might get a few more, a few less, but we average at 4,000. But emigrating to heaven. So I, for, again, it sounds a bit religious, religious thing. I don't quite. Nobody really truly knows where we go when we die. But let's just for the next minute assume that we go to a place called heaven. All right, just bear with me. So all of us, nobody gets out alive, right? So life is basically a death sentence. We are, you know, it's going to happen to all of us. Nobody, literally nobody in the history of human beings has got out alive. So we're all going to die. Um, but let's just imagine the ones up there right now, those who've emigrated to heaven. All right. And let's imagine because we've all got loved ones up there. All right. Who are up there sitting on the cloud looking down at us. And let's play a stupid game. Let's imagine what they're not saying. <laughs> they're watching us. They love us. Right. They're rooting for us. I'll tell you what they're not saying. They're not saying, oh, don't take many risks, mate, because you're going to be disappointed if it doesn't work out. What you need to do is spend hours and hours and hours looking at your phone. That's what you really need to do. And eat some rubbish food and drink lots of fizz. And don't work too hard. Don't try too hard, you know. And don't, you know, don't be your best self because what will people think of you? They are, they're not saying that. They're saying, they're shouting, they're bellowing and shaking the fist. Go for it, you idiot. What are you waiting for? Why are you playing small? You know, get off your phone. Get some good sleep. Look after yourself. You might get more than 4,000 weeks if you do that. Stop messing around. Pull your finger out and, and get your life sorted. That's what your loved ones up there are shouting to you right now. Um, and I think it's quite a, I think that's quite a big thought, actually. Uh, it's, a, it's a really big thought, is they're not asking you to play small. They're asking you, and whether you're 10 years old or whether you're 50 years old or whether you're 90 years old, they're asking you to go for it and, and shake life, give it a right good go and squeeze every last drop of every last day. But as people who are supporting education to be better, I think we would be amiss to not get them to think big in terms of where it could get to. 
Um, but that actually, yes, there is an iteration and, a, and an evolution that you could go through. But everybody on this call, and Dan included, who can't join us tonight, and everybody that is a, in, in terms of the staff um, at, at your organisation, um, I don't know where I'm going. lost my chain of thought. It'll come back to me in a second. But I think that whole thing of think big, and it needs a revolution. It doesn't need an evolution. And I think we need to think big and, and where it, the art of the possible, yeah. the Walt Disney thing of imagine the unimaginable, because if yeah. we only imagine slightly iterating and developing something slightly different, we never really get to a theme park that is like Disney World by just thinking, <laughs> let's put something in a park for May Day. You're not going to get it. I like, don't yeah. you know. Come on, let's really start. That's probably the worst example ever. And I don't know if you're <laughs> laughing because you get it or laughing because it was a terrible example. And I'm waffling, but it's just, let's really go for it. But how do we do that? Up. Just before so, you well, well. just interestingly thinking about that, like I've just listened to um, one of Stephen Bartlett's podcasts with um, Dr. Tally Sharrett, and to me, you might have heard it, and she's a positive psychologist. She talks about the optimism bias, and like actually this idea that about like this level of, and I wonder if it's uh, 50% of our listenership, I don't think I've told you this, Jed, but 50% of our listeners are not in the UK. So um, big shout out to everybody listening all around the world. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for listening to us, Northern Weirdos. But uh, you, you do, and you listen. But like in the UK, the British sense of humour and the British like disposition has always been like uh, a self self deprecating. Well, I'm not very good, and yeah, well, let's play let's play safe. The stuff that you're talking about there, and she and it's it's well good hearing from from you a, a kind of confirmation all the stuff that we're talking about there and that she was talking about is optima it's just having an optimism bias and about like thinking about this this idea that there is an opportunity to do to be good and to succeed and to dream and to do different things she used this phrase um oh no this was davina mccall she went on and she said everybody writes a bucket list when they find out they're going to die why do we do a bucket list when we're going to die why not just do a bucket list like when you when you're alive and when you've you've not got a terminal um uh, a terminal diagnosis do you know what i mean so yeah sorry will you were going to jump in uh, it's it, just on exactly the same same theme I, I say schools need to be in the most politically correct sense of the word passion factories that's what you want that that's the missing ingredient and a lot of the, a lot of that is about acknowledging that actually we're human beings not human doings after all you're never going to get to the end of this kind of to-do list there's always more stuff to do but some of the work we do in schools, for instance, uh, and Andy started this off, that he'd kind of go into schools and we'd work on what we call hugs, huge, unbelievably great goals, encouraging children to think big and aspire and get excited about life and get excited about their schooling and actually how school can be a tool to reach some of those dreams, passions, whatever you want to call it. And just con kind of contrast that. I'm going to contrast that to something that you'll probably be aware of called golden time. You know what I'm talking about? Golden time. Yeah. yeah. Now, I kind of get it. You know, I've been in the classroom myself. But to me, golden time was on like Friday afternoon for when the teachers were absolutely knackered. Right? And I understand it, but it'd be kind of the message to me was, here you go, kids. If you put up with Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday morning, which is all a little bit rubbish, you can enjoy Friday afternoon. And that's the wrong balance. We need schools to be the place. They need to be dream factories. And there's no reason why they can't. And a lot of this stuff is down to two things, self-discipline and self-control. 
In other words, things that actually we can start doing, just small things, atomic habits, or maybe things we need to stop doing. From my experience, a lot of the time, whether, uh, particularly with teachers and educators, what we need to do is learn how to get out of our own way occasionally and stop saying the things, thinking the things, doing the things that actually are holding back our own potential, holding back our own greatness, which I guess brings me back to Andy and his, his Jonah complex. I'll get off my soapbox. No, I love it. And so we've, obviously we've kind of delved in and, and, and you know, we, we never want the podcast to be just focused on, uh, well, a product. But I, I think it'd be a miss to really spend some time and just look at, in terms of your organisation, and I know that you're not just education, you work with business, but you also, wow, you deal with education and the NHS, two massive, <laughs> and all of those things. What does that look like? Does that differ? And I'm going to, put it to you guys is the business model to get it so right in education that you no longer need to work with it with business because actually education looks after so the people that are in business are so well educated in just what you're trying to achieve that that model and that line of your business is obsolete wow mate that's a big thought isn't it well i'll bring you in in a sec essentially we started out um um just doing positive psychology in businesses because um, that's just what we thought we needed to do. Then we realised teachers needed the messages and kids needed the messages. We're not for profit, by the way. So the reason that, I mean, we do love working with businesses, but they pay nice fees that we can then subsidise the work in schools, right? So we don't make a bean out of this. Um, but we've got primary school, secondary school and sort of tertiary education courses. So if, I'll, if I just talk you through the, the, very, the secondary and the higher and then I'll, I'll let, we'll explain what happens in primary because I think it's more exciting. But in secondary, we've just launched um, what we call our Wellbeing Award, which essentially is trying to get uh, things like uh, strengths and positive psychology and resilience and, and uh, purpose and goal setting onto the curriculum. So we'll come in and we'll deliver a, a sort of nine hour program in a school that takes kids through how to be their best self. Um, and then they get a certificate in well-being at the end of it, which is fairly radical actually. So we've just launched that, that's fantastic. You can do you book us to do that in schools with the kids. Obviously we do stuff with um, parents and with staff as well, but it's the primaries will where the magic source is mate. Tell us about the outstandingly happy. Well, <laughs> I'm glad you used that phrase because Steve was talking and slightly raising his eyebrows earlier on about uh, nurseries that he goes into that, that kind of describe themselves as outstanding. And actually, we, we, that resonates with us. And we're in the business when we go into schools of creating outstandingly happy schools. And typically, we deliver a, a, a four-day program, which is spread out probably over about 12 months, where that is the, the schools get a huge banner where they can celebrate celebrate being outstandingly happy. It's an inside-out um, approach to education. So what we want to do is go in and help transform, positively transform school communities, which I know is a kind of a big statement, but I genuinely like Some of the titles might sound a little bit glib, but we are deadly serious about young people's positivity, happiness and well-being. We're there to make a difference. So we go in, we work with cohorts of children, and essentially, it's, it's kind of a lot of it might sound common sense, but it's not always common practice because of the hurly burly speed of, of, of life, essentially. And we try and equip children with the notion that actually there is something called perspective. Right. And you, they don't really realize it because it's going on up here. Right. But there is such a thing as perspective. 
And once you know that perspective exists and alternative perspectives exist, right, it gives you a superpower, which is called choice. In other words, if you don't like what you're doing, if you don't like how you're thinking, if you don't like how you feel, you have the capacity, you have the ability, and dare I say responsibility, to change your life for the better. Now, I won't go through every single nuts and bolts of the four days that we do, but it's all based around that, about equipping children to believe that actually they They've got the tools. They've got everything they need to live amazing lives. Now, we don't go in and say to these kids, these young people, even the staff, that they can be anybody they want to be, because actually I don't believe that. But what they can be is 100% absolutely the very best version of themselves, which is damn well good enough for 99.9% of things. That's the business we're in. That's what makes a difference. And hopefully if the kids can get it, because we now deliver to with kids even in foundation stage, kind of four years old, if the kids can get it at four years old. You kind of just think about the trajectory that hopefully we're helping these children to kind of launch into the adventure of the next 200 lifetimes that they're uh, about to live. Interesting. Interesting to start there, to start with the, the Littleys. Um, I'm, uh, governor at a primary school. In fact, um, it's, it's really interesting to think I've got an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old um, and to to focus on that. My, I think I talk on the podcast quite a lot. My 12-year-old is, um, she considers herself a swimmer. Uh, she's she's not just a, a playing addict learning. She's six times a week job, probably soon to go to eight times a week swimmer at 12. My daughter, my youngest daughter is eight and she she would consider herself to be a dancer. She probably dances four, maybe four or five times a week. And when you see Neve in a swimming pool or around swimming, she comes alive. And she is already at 12, started thinking about, she wants to, she's making county and regional times, but she's thinking about what nationals and this and that and the other, but she's already started thinking, I love swimming. I want to be around swimming. So if I can't become a professional swimmer, which is what her aim is and what she hopes for, well, she needs to go to Loughborough and she wants to develop this, this and this. That's what she wants to do. The dancer, like every minute of every day, she's moving. She's got music on. She's she's, she's on my Spotify account, even though she's got a family account. She's on my Spotify account and my best of Spotify or Spotify Unpacked was all like TikTok songs. And I'm like, I can't post that on my socials because people think that I listen to Gasolina and, 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 and Katy Perry or whatever else it is. But, the reason why I say it is that an eight-year-old, she's she's happiest when she's dancing. My 12-year-old is happiest when she's swimming. And and actually, are there ways that she's happy in other things? Yep, she's happy. they're happy when they're helping people. They're happy when they're around family. They're happy when they're eating good food. Like, there's, there's none of that. But I, I hate when they come home from school and I say, have you had a good day? And their answer is always, all right. And very rarely, and it is really rare, they come home and they go, I've had a well, you should have seen what we were doing in uh, in science today. And I, and I think to myself, that surely, and I know it can't be every day, or maybe it could, but uh, it can't be every day. Like, you want you want your kids to come home from school and go, Dad, you won't believe that this is what I've what I've been doing today, and this is what I've learned, and this is what I'm about. And and this this is probably because it's a, it's a, it's a system. 
and it's a process and it's a you talked about passion factories and we've had, we've said multiple times on this on this podcast that actually schools are exam factories they are results factories they are getting people into work and literally they were so that people could go into a factory and it's nothing's changed nothing has changed um in terms of a systemic and the and set up an organization since that I, I, I'll, I'll I'll calm back down because this is because because but my point is passions um things that excite people let's 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 get that and let's let's bring that curiosity and that creativity and let's make that what we do and because we got to acknowledge and this is the bit that a lot of the traditionalists and the people that argue against us would say well that's all well and good but how will they know x what will they do why we've just proven like in two weeks three weeks we've just proven how easy it is for them to gain knowledge and to be able to ask the, if we can teach them how to ask the questions so yeah mate can i i'll jump in i'll give you a better parental question for everybody watching and listening instead of how was school boring what did you learn can't remember ask them and they're the right age ask them with genuine enthusiasm how was school today was it good fantastic or brilliant right just try that it opens the door up to them giving you the top answer and then they might come back with oh my gosh dad do you know what we did this in history it was amazing love so that ask, ask a better question mate ask a better question well this is it's about chat gpt as well you've just got to ask good questions and me as a parent yeah. i've actually asked good questions you know this is Steve regularly says, and we wind him up uh, on the podcast. We regularly, he regularly says, uh, we could talk all night. Uh, we could definitely carry on going on about this. And I'm absolutely convinced that the stuff that you are and the brilliant work, no pun intended, that you're doing at the Art of Brilliance and the support that you're doing, the, the, this, this pushing out of a, a different way to think and a different way, more importantly, a different way to be. Is, is absolutely what's needed. And so we will keep championing what you do. We love it. Um, thanks for joining us on the podcast tonight and for being uh, just... Oh, it's, what's really make, makes me smile is the fact that there's there's so much synergy in terms of like what we're doing. And let's let's be positive. Let's champion teachers, champion young people, and let's um, and let's continue to push that 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 button to do something different. Andy, Will, thanks for joining us on the on the podcast tonight. And uh, we wish you all the best for all the stuff you're doing with Art and Brilliance. Vive la revolution, gentlemen. Vive la revolution. <laughs> Cheers, Andy. Cheers, Will. One, two, three.